0: Badens best Carson. Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. hoi, I come Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. ingen fact, Ingen Annan Carlson. Carlson, så bra som mig. Carlson. Carlson. Carlson, scores. Carlson. 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 Yeah. Carlson. Carlson. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for tuning back in to, to another, another spring last series last episode of the Keeper Crossing Fantasy Hockey, hockey Podcast, the best awesome. fantasy podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Cross and their Keeper Pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. It's great to be back on the air. It's been, a, I don't know, not quite a couple weeks, but it's good to have the Laurel to my Yanny back.
0: Oh yeah, I've been seeing that online today. Let's not get into that. Apparently, it's just some people hear different things. Didn't this happen recently with a, a color? Wasn't there a color thing where people saw different colors? The dress. Yeah, yeah. But I hear Yanni. I hear Laurel. Uh, Uh-oh, can we continue?
1: A it's a <laughs> podcasting match. That's, that's the level of contentiousness you need in podcast co-hosts
0: to, to have a successful, tension-filled podcast. Well, let's see what we disagree about. So we just recorded last Sunday, and because of scheduling, we're recording now on Wednesday, which means not a a whole lot has happened. We're in the second or the third round now of the playoffs, and we decided to query our patrons and our friends on Twitter for some questions. I think we got a lot of good ones. We've got some fun things to discuss as we start to continue to look into next season. It's early, but now's the time where you really do your homework so that you're gonna be prepared once projections come out. You're gonna be ready to go, win your league next year. Hey, maybe you're still in the playoff league. Hopefully you're uh, winning that one. But okay, before we get into everything, let's take a moment to thank the people who are presenting our podcast, which are our friends at DauberHockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. You've got articles about prospects. There's also DauberProspects.com, which I guess we don't mention that much, but now's the time. We're going to do a little bit of prospect talk here at the start. But like, you got everything fantasy related over on the Dauber Network aside from articles every day you've also got a ton of tools that you can use line combinations including in the playoffs i really like that site i use it all the time they're presenting us but i was using it long before we even started this podcast so check it out com. so brian i put out this call for questions from our patrons and we got a ton of carolina hurricanes questions before we even get into them do you have any idea like can you decode why so many people are asking about the hurricanes of all teams It was so strange to me uh,
1: you know, they, they're they sort of one of the more enigmatic teams in the league. A lot of changes have just taken place in Carolina. And this is a year after, like we're, we're essentially a year removed from a time when everybody was saying the Canes are coming up big. Uh, it's going to be a huge season for them. And then, of course, they fell flat for a variety of reasons. Elon, why don't you mention some of the changes and then I'll chime in specifically.
0: Okay, well, first of all, we've got all new management, right? Including a new coach, Rod that, like, This reminds me back when I started watching hockey. He was a star in the league, and now he becomes the coach of the Hurricanes. I remember using him in NHL 94 as one of my uh, players whenever I would play as the... I guess it wasn't Carolina. Like, what team? It was the Hartford? Was he on? He played for Philly
1: for the large part of his career. And, and I believe, if, if, if my memory serves me right, he was traded to Carolina... Keith Primo. I'm not sure Ah. that he ever played in a Whalers uniform, but Keith Primo did.
0: Or wait, Wayne Primo we need to get a hockey historian on this podcast but okay so now we've got brindamore as the coach hard to know when we talked about the previous coach leaving we discussed maybe what could happen maybe now we get a little bit more information though of course brindamore it's going to be his first team that he's coaching i was wondering if maybe a guy like jeff skinner that was the name that jumped out to me as a player that might be affected by a new coach because it seems like he's been buried a little bit hasn't gotten on the top power play very often we saw someone like evander kane go to san jose never got top power play time on buffalo went to san jose got on the top unit we'll have to see now where he lands next year maybe we'll get to some free agents a little later but i don't know any general takes of just skinner or any other players on carolina being affected or, or maybe the thing is that all this kind of comes together because the other big news was that carolina is going to have the second pick overall on the draft we expect that they're going to take svechnikov who is a high scoring right winger and that might affect lines and stuff and what players values are of course a lot of players get affected positively or negatively when a new you know quote-unquote potential star player i think that a lot of people are expecting to be a star player maybe even have an impact next year so okay in general what do you have to say about, I guess, both Sveshnikov and Brindamore likely joining the team next year?
1: Okay. Well, first off, Brindamore was traded for Keith Primo. And interestingly enough, uh, last year in the draft, both their sons were taken on the second day. Uh, Skyler Brindamore and Caden Primo. A couple, uh, couple very WHL names there. Uh, as for what Rod Brindamore means uh, coming to the Carolina Hurricanes uh, for the team's offensive production or fantasy relevance, I, like who's going to affect? I don't know. I don't know. I, it's so hard to project how a new coach is going to affect player production. Anyone thinking that a new coach coming in and coming in with a new system and changing a lot, not going to have much of an effect. I, I don't recall seeing a coach recently who has had that kind of effect, save for perhaps a defensive coach like Ken Hitchcock, who did help his goalie save percentages in Dallas uh, last year. I feel like there's a better chance that a coach is going to help a goalie than they are going to help their forwards, unless, of course, uh, they pick a couple forwards who were previously in the doghouse or just in like the normal house and upgrade them to the mansion in terms of player Mm -hmm. deployment. So we'll see who Rod Brindamore's favorites become. Interesting A choice for sure also that Don Waddell was hired by the Hurricanes uh sounds like there's a new owner in Carolina who wants to be very involved and Don Waddell is there either because he's very good at selling uh the snake oil that he's peddled in the NHL for years maybe that's harsh he seems like like everybody likes Don Waddell he's just never really done much for any hockey team uh look at the Winnipeg Jets just now getting to glory after Don Waddell pretty much butchered the Thrasher's franchise from the start. Uh, the other possibility that of Waddell being Carolina is just that the NHL sees a very involved owner and thinks, ah, maybe it's a good match to have an older, more experienced hockey man in there to keep an eye on things. Anyway, back to the players. Let's see who is even still in Carolina come September. There was a recent report that had every hurricane not named Sebastian Ajo as being available, as being on the table, as being attainable, tradable. And remember, the other Sebastian Ajo is on the Islanders, so uh, that only means that one player is safe on the Hurricanes. Although if Don Waddell wants to curry some favor with me and hockey fans over, maybe you can make a call to Garth Snow, see if he can acquire the other Sebastian Ajo
0: just to make things tricky for fantasy players. There'll be a lot of mistaken free agent ads if that happens to be the case. So Brian, okay, so I have a... Okay, tell me if this is a hot take or not. Don't you think that Rod Brindamore has like a pretty decent shot? Like this would be a good bet to take him to be like coach of the year next year? Because like what are the qualifications to be coach of the year in the NHL? Your team kind of had to be not as good the year before so that you have room to improve. So check there. And you need to have some better... Go- like I just feel like if, if Carolina could somehow get some good goaltending and like they already have a decent team like you said like they have you know they have good players they have strong depth they like you know their big problem is they don't have a goalie they can't stop the puck if some of that could happen Rod Brindamore is going to look really good it might not even be because of him but of course that is a big if if they could get a goalie that can stop the puck Cam Ward is a free agent that would be so crazy if they re-sign him but either way I guess Scott Darling as of now unless they sign another goalie or trade for a goalie I guess Scott Darling's the starter going to next year. Halak is a free agent. I don't know if that's much of an upgrade. We actually had a question from Chris on Facebook asking, Scott Darling probably gets drafted as one of the last goalies off the board. Is that good value? How do you even say? Like He was really just bad last year. Like we said, going into last year, he never has succeeded as a starting goalie in pretty much any league he's played in. So we don't have any evidence to expect that he can all of a sudden become a really good starting goalie. But I guess stranger things have happened.
1: Stranger things have definitely happened, including some very unsurprising or very surprising Jack Adams trophy winners, which essentially do go to the coach who is in the right place at the right time. It's kind of like the award for a high PDO, whichever teams uh, shooting percentages and save percentages both rose uh, unsustainably at the same time. And that is what coaches have been extended for. And that's also the flip side of that when they've gone down in an unsustainable way is often what coaches get fired for. Um, but you're right, the, the the Hurricanes do seem like a, just like last year at this time, they're a candidate to improve. They have a decent core, reasonable youth, but still no goalie to speak of, except for Scott Darling. Uh, the UFA crop is not terribly enticing. So I don't know if they think that a new like a new year, new goalie, fresh start for Scott Darling is going to be enough to turn him into a starter. I had hope, like we all had hope, uh, based on his body of work, albeit small, with Chicago that he could step in and be a reasonably legit number one in the NHL. I haven't given up on that notion, but he certainly is going to not have earned a lot of faith going into drafts. He could be good value so long as he is the goalie who plays the most minutes for a Carolina team that should. Should improve next year.
0: Right. I feel like you, it can't be bad value if, as uh, Matt or as Chris was asking, like if he gets drafted last, the last goalie taken, it can't be bad value. Take a shot on him. If we see going into your drafts that he's still slated to be the number one goalie, you might as well grab him. Could work out. Like, look at last year. People were drafting, I guess, Varlamov around that time, or maybe Roberto Luongo, maybe even Marc Andre Fleury. All three of those picks worked out very well for their owners and for very low costs. So maybe Scott, like, I wasn't so into top 10 goalie Scott Darling last but i'd definitely be down to get as my third goalie in fantasy that could potentially be the starting goalie on a decent team it's just a matter of if if he could be a decent goalie it's possible or it's possible that he'll be in the minors or you know the backup going uh like you know midway through the year like take a look at steve mason last year a lot of people drafted him expecting to be the starter of the jets Uh, you know was Hellebuck as the starter like very quickly because mason just couldn't cut it after like another disappointing start to another disappointing season for him
1: yeah. Yeah. You could think about drafting Scott Darling in the neighborhood of where, I don't know, Robin Lehner or Jacob Markstrom were drafted last year. Maybe that's even a little bit low. Um, trying to think of like, no. wh- maybe no. where oh, Mark God. Andre Fleury was drafted last year. A lot of people
0: totally underestimated him, right? Well, yeah, yeah, I brought up Flurry. I said, like, the, the golden, like, the best would be if you could get a Flurry in a darling position. So, see, you'll never know, but it does look like Carolina should be a good team. We had a question from Matt asking maybe talk about Ajo and Toivo at the Worlds. They are killing it. And it's true, they're both t- two of the top three leading scorers in the World Hockey Championships that are going on right now for Team Finland. So, like, they both have 17 and 14 points, respectively. And, you know, this is coming off a year where, I guess at times, I know Aho, like, was slow. But overall, he ended up with 65 points on the year. And Toyota Vinen with 64 points. And actually, Brian, I'll bring up really quickly there uh numbers in the second half of the year because I feel like both of them really heated up and especially like Toivo Taravainen really became a viable guy as like the season wore on so I'm seeing 36 points in 40 games for Aho and 35 points in 44 games for Taravainen so maybe okay so yeah definitely Aho was really hot at the end so yeah I mean now we see them do well in the world championships I guess it's the same as any player that's doing well in the playoffs how much stock do we really put into someone I would think we put less stock into how they're doing in the World Hockey Championships compared to the playoffs. At least they're playing against NHL competition in the playoffs. And it's like, but it is still obviously a small sample size. So I don't know. I think we already talked about these guys at the end of the year. I feel like Aho is a solid bet for like 65 points and may maybe really close behind him. I think the real like interesting thing here is, I don't know if Toivo Teravainen really has the same name value as Ajo. I'm, I, like you're going to be able to draft Toivo You know, quite a few rounds after Sebastian Ajo, and maybe they'll end up being pretty similar like they were this year.
1: Yeah. So, like you mentioned, the the caliber of competition at the World Championships is not so high. That said, you do have a lot of NHLers there, and a couple guys rising to the top being Sebastian Ajo and Teva Terevainen makes you think should you be considering them any more than you were before? Um, I'm not really going to use any data from the World Championships to answer that question because, Elon, like you said, uh, we don't look at the playoffs and what a player's done in the preseason or the playoffs and be like, Oh yeah, this really changes their stock. Uh, we look at their whole body of work. Luckily with both of them, there's enough to to make a guess as to what can happen next year. Remember by the way, Sebastian Ajo finished, you said Elon, with 65 points in 78 games, but it was such a frustrating year. I think most people who owned him in October and maybe even into November might not have been the ones who still owned him in April because he was so cold to start. Then he was hot. Then he was cold. Then he was hot for most of the rest of the way, which was very nice to anyone who did end up, especially if they didn't have to waste a draft pick on him like I did, and then not be able to reap the benefits. Anyway, uh, 65 points in 78 games for Ajo last year, and I see him capable of doing the same this year. There may actually be a little room for growth. Uh, Ajo had 16 power play points. That leaves him one specific area where he could pick up another five points or so, given his deployment on that top unit, compare it with a bunch of other guys. Like if Anders Lee can get 21 power play points, why can't Sebastian Ajo? Although Ajo is not playing with the Tavares, but still, I think it's possible. I, I'm also not saying that it's a slam dunk that Ajo is going to hold steady in his even strength points, though there aren't any crazy markers of unsustainability happening. In his numbers from 2017, 18. So I like Aho. I'm gonna put him like I don't know if this is gonna surprise you, Elon, but I've got him with a floor of 65 points next year and a shot of cracking 70.
0: Yeah, I think a very decent shot. I think that sounds right to me. Like you're saying that you're seeing some room for improvement in his power play points. I see another number that makes me think that he has room for improvement. Wanna guess what that is? Ice time? No, his age, he's 20. Oh, I feel, yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's a good reason to expect that he can improve over time, like he's gonna grow into a grown a grown person at some point. And <laughs> wow, maybe he'll be better.
1: maybe he'll move out of his parents' home one day. I don't know the way you're making him sound like he's just playing video games all yeah. day, uh I, except he's really good at hockey, so probably not. maybe yeah. a mix uh Tebu also young how how old is he Elon?
0: Oh, you're putting me on the spot. I don't just know all the names by heart here, but I'll tell you in one second, Toivo Teravainen is... That's the like lamest buildup for like, <laughs> just something I 23, 23 years old.
1: Okay. So like the sun is pretty much setting on Toivo Teravainen. Not really. He could be entering his prime. Uh, Teravainen set a career high with 64 points in 82 games last year. The interesting bit there is that Teravainen's point totals are really the only offensive number that rose significantly compared to the past couple of years. Uh, Teravinen almost doubled last year's points per 60 rate, but did not enter any uncharted territory in stuff like shots, shot attempts, or chances generated relative to his career history. Teravinen did get more time on the power play than in past years, which helped him to an extra five power play helpers over the previous season's total. But at even strength, Teravinen was not getting any extra deployment, just 12 more seconds per game, not even a full shift. So what happened then to help Toivu Taravainen net 22 more points than he ever has? Huge gains in shooting percentages is your answer. He had a 13.4 individual shooting percentage compared with Taravainen's usual numbers, which were around the 7 to 8% mark the last three years. Taravainen also had a high on ice shooting percentage. It was actually about the same as Ahos', and you didn't hear me complaining about Ahos' because, well, I'm just enamored with Aho at the moment uh, in the mid nines. So it's not going to fall off the face of the earth, but it is going, it should regress next year. Um, and to be fair, Teravainen has been, uh, unreasonably maligned by below average on ice shooting percentages in years past. That said, I still would not expect, uh, his mid nine on ice shooting percentage to hold going into next year. So unlike Sebastian Ajo, I'm not predicting, like, I'll give him his age as reason for growth, but there's no other thing in his numbers. It's like, yeah, this guy's trending up. Uh, if anything, I'd expect TerriVine to face regression. So he is going to actually have to grow and mature and improve as a hockey player to be able to get back up to the 64-point height that he did last season. And of course, he might get the opportunity. If Rod Brindamore, if he's still in Carolina in September and Rod Brindamore loves him and wants deploy him like crazy that would be another way to help him get to 64 points but if he stays the same hockey player and essentially keeps putting up the same numbers
0: I wouldn't have him hitting 60 next year Wow, you wouldn't even have him hitting sixty. Yeah, Dave in the chat room here is saying that you surprised that you gave Aho a floor of sixty five. Like that means like you you say like it's a guarantee Aho's gonna get you at least sixty five. But then you're surprised you'd be surprised to see Toyvo even get to sixty. I guess like another thing about Toyvo, he doesn't necessarily have to be an amazing like you know grow as a player. What if just Aho grows as a player and he comes along with him for the ride?
1: But but that's what happened this year, and uh, Teravinen still had 64 points. So if you give Aho another five, uh, regress Teravinen's shooting percentage a little bit. Like, okay, I, I'm trying to take some biggish swings because Carolina's a pretty boring team to right. talk about. Or they have been in uh, for the last little while. So I'm trying to spice it up here a little
0: bit. Yeah, that's um, and obviously yeah. we we both are aware that this stuff is hard to predict, right? I mean, like Brian's gonna crunch the numbers here, and he's saying that these numbers make it look like what he had was a slightly like unreasonable, like if things were more along the lines of league averages in terms of on ice shooting percentages, he should have a little bit less. And you know, that's the best we can do here. We can't predict the future. So I, I like your takes. And I see myself uh, maybe passing on Aho, especially if he's going to have a lot of hype in the world championships. And then I could see myself drafting Toivo though. though. Of course, we'll have to see how things are looking in training camp, like with a new coach. Like We'll have to see what the line combinations are, like even Svechnikov coming in. I guess we'll definitely get Cam Robinson at some point, our resident prospect expert, to tell us how good he thinks he'll be. Maybe once he actually officially gets drafted, but... It, obviously, if he becomes a player on the team, then we have to figure out if he's going to be on the top line. Does that bump someone like Aho or Teravine from the top line? So there's a lot that could happen. One other question we got about Carolina was from Ryan, who asked us to give predictions for Justin Falk next year in terms of goals, assists, and ice time. So uh, Justin Falk had another one of those years where he was like good, decent, I guess. Like Especially at the end of the year, he was okay. He had a really, really slow start. But then since January, he put up 20 points in 38 games, which is around a forty-five-ish point pace. Like, not bad. Like he's always been really good for shots on goal, which is good. For some reason, he like didn't get like hardly any power play points, which is very frustrating. Do you see any reason to expect something different from Justin Falk next year? I guess just the idea that these forwards he'll be playing with are gonna potentially be better if he's gonna have Aho a year more mature and like Svechnikov coming in and being really good. Is that any reason to expect you to be more high on Justin Falker at this point? Are you pretty much like, he's like a 40, 45-point guy if everything goes right, and that's all you can expect. We were really high on him at one point, I remember.
1: Yeah, and I don't even know, Elon, if people listening are going to buy in at all to you saying that just by default, he's a 40, 45-point guy. This year, he had just 31 points, and that's his lowest points total since 2013-14, which was his third year in the NHL, his age 21 season. Uh, He's 25 now. I can't remember if this upcoming season is going to be his age 25 or age 26 season. Anyway, uh, the 31 points disappointment to top the disappointment of the year preceding this one where Falk only had 37 points when people were hoping for 40, 45. And for anyone wondering, yes, uh, Justin Falk has been good before. It's not like we keep expecting him to break out and he's just never had the opportunity. Justin Falk had 49 points in 2014-15. That's when he first came on, uh, well, burst onto the scene, I suppose we could say. And he followed that up in 15-16 with a 47-point pace. Uh, But there's no denying that, sorry, the now 26-year-old had pretty yucky counting production numbers in 2017-18, despite Falk topping the 200 shot mark for the third time in the last four years. So you can put two and two together there to realize that he had bad counting numbers, but he still put a lot of shots on net. So his, his own shooting percentage played a factor. Falk's shooting percentage was half of what it normally has been in his career, down below 4% when he's usually reliable for closer to eight, which means that Falk's eight goals were a shadow of the total number of goals that he probably deserved. This is why I think Falk, Still can score 15 goals and be counted on for at least 40 points. Also, take his low IPP into account. Falk clocked in at 36% there, which is about 15% lower than each of his last few years. And Falk uh, is a prime candidate for a bounce back because of that too. Uh, he's just going to have to give his coach a reason to allow him to continue to be the power play one quarterback. Falk's power play time on ice was actually up by a little over last year. Share power play time held steady. So, like, if there's any narrative that Falk was losing grip on the top power play job, not so much. Like, yeah, uh, the last game of the season, Trevor Van Reemsdyke was quarterbacking the top unit. Maybe they were trying some things towards the end of the season. New coach now. I still think Falk is the best suited guy for the job. I myself have been burnt by him the last couple of years. But I think Falk remains a defenseman that now you might be able to snag as a 35, 40 point guy in your draft when he's actually got a good shot at 45.
0: Yeah, and like the thing is, you know me, Brian, and Dave knows this very well about me in the chat. I love my shots. And if you rank the Carolina Hurricanes players by shots on goal last year, want to take a guess where Falk slotted in? Oh, top 15. Top, wait, top 15 in
1: shots on the Hurricanes? Oh, sorry. I was trying to rank him amongst all defensemen. Uh, Third. Second, the only Oh, just behind who...
0: Skinner. Yeah, just behind Skinner. Like, he shoots a lot. At least we'll see how things change next year. Yeah, in terms of all defense, actually, that's a good question. Let me do this in real time. Should I do another big buildup just to make it seem as if this is really exciting when it's actually not? Okay, yeah. top, <laughs> top defenseman for shots. Oh, now I have it on all available players. I got it. Oh, that... no. I got...
1: this, is, this is this is hard to build up. How about I'm going to do a drum roll. Okay, oh, now, now I'm not... here. Okay. He's
0: 12th. 12th in the league. <laughs> It, for defensemen, first shots on goal, though he did play 76 games, everyone ahead of him and a lot of people behind him played more. So maybe he could have creeped up, actually. Looks like he had 211. The eighth place, Victor Hedman, had 216 he actually had uh not that many games either he only played 77 games so there you go 12 top 12 for shots that's good and he was like much much lower for goals in fact interestingly a guy who had more shots than justin falk but fewer goals is colton pareko and he's someone i was planning to discuss a little later we had a question about ranking some young defensemen i wonder if Pareco's another guy who maybe we could expect a higher shooting percentage next year because he definitely 2.8 Percent shooting percentage for Colton Pareco. That was uh pretty bad luck. Uh like even worse than Justin Falk who you said it, had some bad luck. So yeah, I like Falk for next year. He's always also been an injury concern. I don't know if that's something that you're really worried about, Brian. He's gonna miss sometime. He played most of the year this year. So yeah, I think he's a good, like, sleeper-ish pick. And and Dave is mentioning here that the podcast is now keeping Carolina. So yeah, maybe we could move on now from talking about the Carolina hurricanes, unless you have something else you wanted to say about them. No. Okay. Um, by the way, I mentioned how Aho and Tara Viden are two of the top three leading scorers in the World Hockey Championships. If anyone is curious, some fun names in the list of top 10 scorers for the World Hockey Championships. We've got Patrick Kane over at number two, then Connor McDavid, number four, then Ricard Raquel, Cam Atkinson. Pavel Datsik comes in at number seven. He's still, he's still great. Too bad he's not in the NHL for Detroit. They could have used him last year for sure. Then some guy li- named Nagy. On
1: Nagy. He was a real speedster in like NHL
0: 2004. Oh, they, oh he was in the
1: NHL, eh? I, I was referencing the video game, but yeah, he was in the NHL. I think he was in the Kings,
0: Coyotes, and maybe even the Senators system briefly. Uh, I know that sounded kind of familiar. Then you have Zabanajad and Rantanen rounding out that list. So it looks like a fun tournament. I don't even know how to watch these games. I guess I should get cable is the first thing. It doesn't show up on my NHL Game Center app as an option. And there's been so many fun playoff games. How could I be watching the World Hockey Championships? Come on. Okay, Brian, next topic of discussion. We have Corey. I know that you're not generally too into predicting like where players are going to land, so I might want to massage this question a little bit, but Corey asks, could you talk about pending UFAs and potential landing spots? So maybe instead of, unless there's some really obvious ones, I just wanted to look, just like let people know who are the big unrestricted free agents that are potentially going to change teams next year, and maybe we could just discuss a couple of them. I'll like, give you a list of like the 11 or so that interest me, then you can say if there's anyone who you think is really going to benefit or hurt from like leaving their current situation. How does that sound?
1: Sounds like a great strategy.
0: All right. So we've got John Tavares who we don't know if he's going to sign with the Islanders or go somewhere else. Do you see like a reason for people to be like concerned or excited if he were to leave the Islanders? Do you like have a sense one way or the other? Like, is it like, oh my God, free Tavares from the Islanders? Or do you think like he would be just as good fantasy wise, no matter where he is?
1: Uh, Like, morally and ethically, I see there to be reason to cheer for John Tavares to be freed from the Islanders, uh, as anybody on the Islanders might benefit from. But hockey, point-wise, nah. I think he's going to be John Tavares regardless of location.
0: They're so probably like a point per game guy. If anything, it's the players who are playing with John Tavares where he lands. Those are the players who are potentially going to benefit, as we saw so much from Josh Bailey and Anders Lee for the past couple of seasons. Okay, then we've... yeah, wait.
1: I'm I'm actually going to butt in there and say the the real question about whether Tavares stays or goes is not about Tavares. It's about Matt Barzell and whether you know he's ready to become that top line centerman. Which I would uh, pr- probably wager that he is just about ready. And maybe there was some uh some collateral benefit to him being sheltered quote unquote by playing on the second line while other teams keyed in on Tavares but uh he can probably handle his business on the top line so for that reason I'm actually interested in seeing if Tavares heads elsewhere because I am very curious to see what Matt Barzell could do in a larger role that he may not get if Tavares stays in Long Island
0: well, I mean, he definitely doesn't need a larger role to get more points. he get 85 points in 82 games next year. That would be, or last year, I should say. Like, I'm interested to know what Barzil can do next year. Like, such an amazing, amazing rookie season. He had a couple of those five-goal games that obviously helped boost those numbers. But I I feel like he's going to probably get... Ra- I don't see myself drafting a Matt Barzil. I'm curious to know if you concur. I just feel like he's you're know, already getting votes for our patron rankings when there's a lot of superstar players that haven't been picked yet. Guys like Jonathan Marcheseau, so or Temi Panarin, or Philip Forsberg haven't been drafted yet, or I shouldn't say drafted, ranked in our Patreon rankings, or ranking a new player every single day. And Matthew Barzell's already getting votes, and, like, for good reason. He had this amazing season last year, only 170 shots, which doesn't excite me too much. He had a really high shooting percentage, 12.9. I don't know, like, obviously he's really good, and John Tavares leaving, like, changes a lot about his deployment. Like, he'll still be on the top power play, but he'll be on a top power play without... John Tavares, and then he'll be on a line. We'll see who he, uh, you know, we'll see who he plays with at even strength uh i wonder if they would put bovillier and Eberly, like keep them with bars since that seemed to go well obviously things could cha- change a lot all throughout the season do you have any general takes about bars like you'd see yourself drafting him? i just feel like there's no way i'm going to be drafting him because i'm sure there's going to be at least someone in each of my leagues who's going to expect him to be over point per game again and i just kind of don't see it happening. i think he's really good but i don't know if i'm going to bank on him for that when i could get like a tried and true superstar like a philip forsberg say
1: it definitely depends on how much of a premium the other people in your pool are ready to pay for Matt Barzell. I like him at the right place. Like I'm I'm not going to be afraid of drafting him next year, but I will not want to overpay for him as I will not want to overpay for anyone.
0: Yeah. Dave is saying in the chat that Barzell won the vote today. So he's going to go as 27th overall, as our top ranked player, just after Jack Eichel, who went 26th. And as our yeah. crowdsourced patron ranked. Yeah. It's kind of Correct. fun. I wonder yeah. how we should check back and see how last year's did uh, compared to what actually happened. I think our patrons are some pretty smart folks, but you know, this is ahead of guys like Bergeron and Panarin and Forsberg. Like I said, Marcheseau, Kopitar, so a lot of big names that Barzell is going to have to outperform to deserve that ranking. I guess he could do it, yeah. So obviously, John Tavares, where he goes is going to affect a lot of people. We have John Carlson, who's still playing in the playoffs for Washington. He had such an amazing year, led all defensemen in points. I feel like it wouldn't be good for him to leave Washington obviously we're not going to get too much into all these guys because we might we're going to do a whole show when all these free agents are signed and we're going to go in depth on what we think is going to happen once we actually know where they're going but I feel like someone like John Carlson like if you have him in a keeper league and you're deciding whether to keep him or not I'd be very nervous about him leaving the capitals because who knows if he would even be the top power play defenseman where he went it obviously depends who else is there and also Alex Ovechkin on your top power play is going to help you get a lot of points and he's not going to have Ovechkin where he goes next
1: True. Remember at the start of the year, where like people were down on John Carlson, or was it the start of the last? Year? Like he had, had well, a couple year, seasons of where yeah, where people were eh, started to lose faith, and it, it's just fun how quickly the tides turn, and we we forget. Like we look at him now as this this leading force on a conference finalist, uh, being indispensable, irreplaceable, elite at his position. I I could see him being okay wherever he lands next year as long as they, the team that signs him does ask him to quarterback their top power play, which I imagine they would. If, if that's not what they want him for, then they probably should not be shelling out however much it's going to cost to get him.
0: Yeah, I feel like the team that needs him the most is the Washington Capitals. Like, I don't know how many... Like, who's going to be the Capitals' top power play defenseman if John Carlson's not there? Is It's going to be Orlov or Niskanen? That's a huge downgrade. They already, like... At one point, but yeah, when you were saying that Carlson was someone who people weren't so high on going into the year, because the previous year he was bumped by Shattenkirk. If you recall, like they they traded for Shattenkirk halfway through the season, and he lost a lot of fantasy value because he got bumped off the top power play. But I guess the capitals knew what they were doing. They decided this year was the year that they were going to depend on Carlson, and it worked out really well. And yeah, that's a really interesting one for me. I'll run off a bunch of names now, Brian. Then have just let me know which ones interest you. Okay, I got like JVR. Paul Stasny, who's fit in obviously very, very well on Winnipeg. They're still going. Evander Kane, Ilya Kovalchuk, we already discussed. He's going to be interesting to see where he lands. James Neal, Joe Thornton, David Perron, Rick Nash. Any of those names jumping out at you as like guys that are going to be different next year as opposed to this year due to them going to a new team?
1: Uh, No. (laughs) Is that that okay? I don't know. What What do you think about that group?
0: I feel like Evander Kane is very interesting, right? Because he just was so good on San Jose. And if he re-signs with the Sharks, it just feels like that's a really good spot for him. And I could see him... Potentially then being overrated if people are going to expect him to keep up those amazing numbers he put on the Sharks in that really small sample size. But he was always buried in Buffalo and he's shown that he's a really good producer and in fantasy, like so great for those shots on goal, which, you know, I like. So he's someone who I think will be very interesting. And maybe Paul Stasny is on the opposite side. Like, I feel like he's so good on the Jets. And if he were to go on another team, like he might just go back down to being the Paul Stasny of old who was like a solid enough own in fantasy maybe like a 55 60 point center but i think if people are going to be drafting him expecting a lot more they might be disappointed so maybe those are a couple names that jump out at me. maybe david perron also like if he doesn't stay on vegas who knows like he didn't really make an impact on pittsburgh as we all recall that's why and like a lot of the teams like he was good on edmonton like a million years ago but I'd imagine David Perron's best bet is to stay on Vegas since they have magic in the water. And a lot of their players are really amazing fantasy value ads when there weren't anywhere else.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I guess the other guy, like you you have you just have to look for the guys who have a chance to get upgrades in deployment. And maybe Mike Green, although he was manning the, the power play in Detroit, you know, I, I wonder if he got to quarterback a more capable power play on a more consistent basis without a team like constantly like I I don't know what the Red Wings are paying him for if they I've gone on this rant enough times over the last while since the Red Wings signed him and have been ambivalent about really making him the guy so if he goes to a team that uses him as the guy uh, that would be great for him JVR could could stand to to benefit in deployment as well with a change of scenery and uh yeah, that, that's essentially what you're looking for. But like you said, Elam, we are going to get to all these specific cases where we don't have to do much anticipation. We'll, we'll actually know where they're going and be able to weigh
0: in. Yeah, it's kind of like right now we're having some fun talking fantasy mid May, but like it's a really fun time of the year around July 1st, around the draft. And then there's all these free agent signings, usually a bunch of trades. And then it's like we got to, we can't like make enough episodes to cover everything. So I'm really excited for that time. But of course, right now I'm enjoying the playoffs and maybe also enjoying not freaking out about all of my leagues. I will admit, Brian, I am starting to miss it. Are you at that point yet? Or are you still enjoying the vacation of not being stressed out about your fantasy leagues?
1: I'm still enjoying the vacation only because like I still had that stress up until the Penguins, Bruins and Sharks were all eliminated within 24 hours of each other. Uh, So I'm still recovering from that and enjoying some stakes-free, consequence-free playoff hockey.
0: Yeah. By the way, uh, that draft that we did on the end of season show with the couple winners for a playoff pool draft, I am going to be coming in last place in that I took all Penguins and Kings and that did not work out well for me and i am very embarrassed but hey i like to think of it as i drafted a team that could win a lot of people who are ahead of me aren't gonna win they took a bunch of players from a bunch of different teams so sure they're gonna now end up better than me because my team's got eliminated early but hey i took a swing and it was a really dumb swing on the la kings i am never going to uh doubt vegas again for the rest of this season i i'll bet you they're gonna beat the jets and now watch me be wrong about that but i just have this feeling that like you can't hold down the Vegas Golden Knights. It was very impressive of them to come out after that tough game one loss and destroy the, uh, well, they didn't destroy it. It was a close game. Jonathan Marshall once again showed how great he is. Anyways, I'm rambling. Why don't we go to our next question? Yeah. And actually, before we do that, why don't we thank our sponsor for this week's episode? And those are our friends over at SeatGeek. I already said Dumber Hockey, our friends, but Brian, we have lots of friends. We also have friends over at SeatGeek because they are the place to go if you're looking for a ticket to anything like a concert, an event. You go to the app, you can browse around, see what's going on, then get yourself a good value ticket. You have yourself a fun night. And if you're a listener of Keeping Carlson, you can even get a discount on your ticket just because you listen to us so you could save time and money you search multiple ticket sites all at one go and you compare prices find amazing deals i've been using SeatGeek, like i said just to kind of see what's going on unfortunately there's no playoff hockey to watch over in toronto but there's lots of other fun things going on in the city and i'm sure there are a lot of fun things going on in your city Brian. why don't you tell the listeners about this discount that i was hinting at
1: Yeah. All Keeping Carlson listeners get $20 off their very first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING. Try it today. That's promo code KEEPING for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. I've done it. It
0: worked. It'll work for you too. It, it, it better work they're good it's a good app okay all right let's uh, go to the next question here I, i'm having starting to ease into this brian i feel like we're doing a bit of a patron cast here normally we take questions from the patrons every month for a monthly patron cast here we did a little bit of prep so it's like a patron cast but like with a little more professional tinge i'd be drinking a beer if this was a regular patron cast so we'll do one of those at the end of this month but okay we have a question from aaron we got to talk about pecorine he blew it in that series against the Jets, he got pulled in three of the games. And yeah, including the final game where he let in two goals and like seven shots. And that was it. He got the he got pulled and UC Saros came in. He was pretty solid. So now all of a sudden we look into next year. Is this going to be a situation where Pekka Rinne, who I think a lot of people are pegging as the likely Vesna winner, but yet he might not be a guy that's so sought after in fantasy. Because at this point, people might be wondering if the Nashville Predators are going to start making uc saros the new starting goalie especially because renee only has one year left on his contract we'll see what saros does in this offseason he's actually a restricted free agent but i'd imagine they're gonna sign him they need him especially with renee running out of time and also being not uh, the youngest so what do you think about picking Rene at this point like would you be drafting him for next year do you think that he can once again put up a Vesna winning season? I know what you're going to say to that. But yeah, very curious to know what people should make of what he did in the playoffs. Like, Basically, my main question is, does what happened in the playoffs affect your opinion of Pecorine? Or do you still feel about him the same as you did going into the playoffs after this strong year, but yet still older and like maybe concerning because of a really strong backup waiting in the wings?
1: Okay, wait, what do you think my opinion was of Pecarine going into the playoffs?
0: I feel like you were thinking that he overachieved this year.
1: Okay, and then what do you think my opinion of Pecorino was coming out of the playoffs?
0: I guess probably the same, but maybe now there's going to be more pressure on the coaches and on management to just like give Saros the ball and let him run now that Rene really blew it for the Predators. I don't know if the fans are going to want to put the important games in Rene's hands again without giving Saros a chance. So Saros wasn't that amazing this year, to be fair.
1: No, Saros had a really rough year. And, and honestly, after like he had that big, I don't know, what was it? Seven or eight starts back in sixteen, seventeen. Yes, sixteen, seventeen. So that's not this past regular season, the one before it, where everyone thought like it was over for Pekka Rene. And then Rene got the job back part because he played all right, part because the wheels fell off of Saros's game and have never quite come back. Uh, but going back to the Rene angle of things, Elon, you know, uh, as as i affirmed if anything if i if, if there was anything to take from renee's playoff performance it was validation of my opinion that renee kind of overachieved this year here's something you might not know about pekka renee he and henrik lundqvist are just eight months apart in age pekka's the younger one but he'll still be 36 by the time the 2018-19 season is a month old I, we always talk about how Henrik Lundqvist is old, and that's why you shouldn't take a chance on him. Pekka is not far behind, so if I'm not ready to take a chance on 36-year-old Henrik Lundqvist, I'm probably not ready to do the same for Pekka either, although let's clearly acknowledge right now that Rene gets to play behind one of the best teams and specifically defense units in the NHL, while Lundqvist has been left out to dry for so long that the colors on his jersey are starting to fade. So maybe it's okay to take a chance on Pekka Rinne. because of that. And because of this overachieving season, maybe he can at least put some semblance of it up again. Like Rene's numbers last year were phenomenal. I don't want to take away from that. He was ranked top five in goals saved above average for 60 minutes. And he led the league in even strength save percentage. Rene also bounced back in a big way on the penalty kill. He'd been performing well below his expected PK save percentage for the last couple years, but performed right up to it this year. So he didn't exceed it, but he at least performed how you would expect an average NHL goalie to perform, given his penalty kill workload. So what's not to like? Uh, Well, I've said a couple things, and i said all the things that were to like. Here are a couple more things not to like about Pecorino's numbers. He did lead the league, like I just said, in even strength save percentage. That's great. But he was also sixth in expected even strength save percentage, which means that it wasn't a, a huge stretch for him to get there. Like, yes, he did have to perform up to expectation. Good for him. He deserves some credit for that. But he wasn't one of the greatest outperforming goalies compared to what was expected of them. Uh, And Rene's even-strength save percentage was built off an insane jump in high-danger save percentage, which we know is often a marker of unsustainable goaltending success. Uh, Just to give you some actual numbers for context, in high-danger situations last year, Rene put up an 833 save percentage. That's the highest of his career beating out the 794 that had been his career high since 2010-11. But in the last two seasons before this one, Renee had put up a 748 and 735. Again, that's compared to an 833 uh, this most recent season. So that number is going to fall back down. There's no doubt about that. He's not putting up this other... Inc- I mean, look, lightning can strike twice. Possible. Totally. But I'm not expecting it to. Yeah, so where am I landing here? I've been pretty outspoken about my lack of faith in Rene for the last few years. And I honestly, I, I think I've generally been right. And now that he's another year older with some big flags of unsustainable success, I'm not about to change my tune. I did think it was fitting that it was Yusi Saros uh, who finished the series in net and the season in net for the Predators. Though I guess we'll find out this summer if Nashville thinks Saros is the heir apparent to Rene or if they look elsewhere, whoever the Predators think their next number one is. I expect him to see at least half the workload next year, unless he darlings himself.
0: Yeah, well, actually, the name that comes to mind, I think a good analogy from last year going into the season, and I remember a lot of people were discussing Martin Jones and Aaron Dell. And there was like Dell had had this amazing year as a backup the year before, and Martin Jones gave us some reasons to be concerned. And a lot of people maybe avoided drafting Martin Jones, and he ended up having a really solid season. And Aaron Dell ended up being pretty much a bust. I guess he wasn't even that great of a spot start ad, or at least not as good as he was the year before. So I wonder if that could happen this year. Of course, this could go completely another way. I'm sure I could come up with examples where the backup goalie ended up taking over finally. You could look at Steve Mason and Connor Hellebuck, I guess, is one example. But yeah, like could maybe Pekka Rine become a steal in people's drafts? Like, yeah, as long as you're not expecting him to put up another Vezna-winning season and play the majority of the games. But there is a chance that he can hold the job. Like, the Nashville Predators are a cup contender. Like you say, Brian, they are really good teams. So they're not just going to play their backup just because Rene is a pending unrestricted free agent, right? Like if Rene is playing well, they're going to keep him in and they're going to go for a cup. So I think there could be value there, but I would be careful about drafting him too high. He'll probably go higher than I would be comfortable drafting him just because of his amazing season. Though obviously then it depends how much this playoffs hurt and the people listening to Keeping Carlson, obviously they're not going to be drafting him as high. But yeah, do you see any like Jones Dell-ish things happening here or do you think it's like a completely different thing?
1: Mm, I think it's a completely different thing, especially because Jones was already locked up long-term and is not young, but younger than Pecorino. So there's some different dynamics at play here. Uh, Like you said, I'm not about to reach for Pecorino in a draft. If he falls to a value draft position, like somewhere where I think it's worth it for, you know, maybe 40 games or maybe 60 games of Pecorino playing anywhere between terrible to amazing – Uh, Yeah, I'll go for him. I wouldn't want to rely on him. And I think probably after this season, he's going to get ranked really high by default, like in, in Yahoo and ESPN and Fantrax default rankings. And that'll probably make him get drafted a lot sooner than I would be prepared to take him.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder if there's the possibility, what if like Saros ends up playing really well at the start of the year and then Nashville decides that they're going to go with Saros and then they trade Pecorine at the trade deadline. Now this is like complete fan fiction and we'll wait until the season starts, but maybe he could end up on some other team and for their playoff run and end up having value in the second half of the year as a starting goalie somewhere else. I don't know, like on Carolina or the Islanders or something like that. Who I don't know. Yeah, you're, re- you're reaching here. I have no idea. Okay, so how would I just but go to the next? It's fun to
1: think that.
0: Yeah just trying to have some fun here again it's a may podcast so i guess we get a little bit of leeway for that let's go to our next question from jordan so he mentioned and we didn't really discuss this very much kucherov and stamkos both cooled off relative to their hot starts how would you project them for next season so like obviously we've both been super high on both of these guys and discussed at length like who who was playing as a third guy on their line when they were together that was like the main discussion i feel like on keeping carlson last year like do you want to have you know jt miller at the end Or Nemesnikov, or the slew of like Braden Point, who I think was playing with them in the last game. So I don't know. It's probably going to change a bunch of times. But anyways, let's look at Kucherov and Stamkos themselves. So Kucherov, after January first, he had forty four points in forty two games, which is good, but actually only good for nineteenth in points after january 1st so obviously kucherov was like third overall in league scoring for the whole season only 19th overall since january 1st and uh stephen stamkos had 37 points in 40 games since january 1st so obviously very good numbers like a- above a point per game and almost at a point per game but not at that like I don't know, top 10 production that they were giving you at the start of the year. So which half do you think was more representative for Kucherov and Stamkos? First half or second half? Maybe it was like playing with Nemesnikov in the first half got them so hot. And then once Nemesnikov cooled off, is that why they ended up not doing as well?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's not the theory I'm subscribing to, that Nemesnikov was the difference maker. Uh, Honestly, a lot of the times in these first half versus second half questions, my answer is, Whatever came out at the end of the season with both of those elements mixed together is the picture that I subscribe to, and that's the case with Stamkos and Kucherov. Uh, Kucherov sure seems like he's capable of another hundred-point season. There's no reason for me to think he's not, and Stamkos also capable for another point-per-game-plus season. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 85, 90 points again. In fact, his sh- his shooting percentage this year was down at 12.7%, which is higher than league average. But compared to his career average, he'd been right around the 16% mark for the last few years. So you could probably even spot him a few more goals than he had this season. So for that reason, I am uh, quite comfortable with just keeping exactly where they are and thinking that their full season pace, like full season Stamkos and full season Kucherov is who they are
0: okay that seems fair obviously they're gonna go super high in drafts and you can't get more solid options right like I think Stamkos clearly showed us that the injuries are behind him like he wasn't having any lingering effects and I think he's gonna be a solid like if not first round then mid second round guy like if you look at our patron ranking Stamkos went off the board Very so Kucherov went second after Connor McDavid and then Stamkos came in at 15 so yeah second round guy and both like really solid picks and then probably all next year we'll once again be discussing the player playing with them on the first line and if you should add them and when it's time to drop them and when they move from the first line you have to be like with well, domestikov we were wondering well maybe you don't drop him because he might get back on the first li-. oh man i'm like giving myself deja vu here that was like one of the more stressful things to worry about but hey those people who picked oh, up yeah. jt miller after the trade deadline they benefited that could have been like a little mini uh, playoff mvp for a lot of people if you grab jt miller at the right time but of course, Palat was injured. So he's also someone to watch out for next year. Okay. Uh, I think it was Palat actually that joined the top line yesterday, not Point. I think it said Point. Anyway how about the next question another one from Aaron who asked about Rene he asked about Tarasenko given how low Tarasenko ranked in the Patreon rankings yeah, we're discussing them a lot where did Tarasenko rank here 22nd so a lot lower than he's been drafted like he's been a I think last year in a lot of drafts he was drafted in the first round that I participated in so definitely he didn't have the year that we expected from him and Brian I know you've been saying we have brought him up a few times maybe there's not too much new to say that you think people overrated him and thought of him as like a point per game plus guy when really he's only shown himself to be closer to like a 70 or 75 point player which maybe that's only like a couple big games one way or the other makes that difference but yeah what do you think about Tarasenko at this point do you think that he's going to be like a steal next year and you should grab him in the mid second round if you can or do you think that he's going to be lower ranked for a good reason because he was overrated before Tarasenko
1: season last year was disappointing so anybody who did draft him early in the first round or second round unfortunately, not only did not get what they were hoping for, but got less than they like could have reasonably expected at 66 points. Well, and yeah, my line on him, and it still hasn't changed. I'm sure our listeners can probably repeat it because I've said it so many times. Tarasenko is a remarkably consistent player, not just in point totals, but in all his rate stats and his offensive numbers. They're all pretty consistent. Like you look back, there's no wild spikes or aberrations over the last while. Uh, last year was a little unlucky for him. I expect him to get back into the mid-70s. I don't expect him to eclipse that. What you get with Tarasenko is you get somebody who has 40 goal potential. So if your league has a bonus for goals, or if they're somehow weighted in a way that makes them more important to you compared to assists or whatever other stats are on the table, that is where the, that's the sort of context where he lends your fantasy team the most value. Otherwise, if you're just looking at points, He's a mid-70s player, which is not a first-round material.
0: Yeah, I guess the one reason to be optimistic about Tarasenko is he really did come out strong to start the year, right? And then Jaden Schwartz got injured, and then everything kind of fell apart. So if you're kind of hoping for that to happen again, except for no one to get hurt, then that could be a reason to expect him to do better. But at the same time, uh, he's also injured himself right now. He had a reconstructive surgery to repair his left shoulder. I think we discussed that. Uh, At the end of the season, he's expected to be reevaluated in training camp come September. So maybe he'll be fine and he'll start the year. And you might be able to get good value from him. Like you say, Brian, there is something to be said about getting a consistent guy. Like, I'll take Tarasenko over Barzil. I don't know if that's going to be an option. Like, I mean, Tarasenko was ranked ahead of Barzil in our rankings. But, you know, like, I feel like Tarasenko is, like, a guarantee to be, like, at least a 70, 75-point guy. Like, close to a point per game when he's healthy. And hopefully the players around him will be healthy. Maybe, like, someone like Robbie Fabry could come back and help, like, I don't know if help Tarasenko, but, you know, just help the whole team's depth so that Tarasenko doesn't have to be shouldering the load on on the first line. Like, there's a lot of things that could go right, and I think a lot of things went wrong last year for St. Louis. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I I agree with you, though. I think there's reasons to be optimistic for him to still be better, but I wouldn't bank on it. But he is just, like, that good, consistent pick that you know is going to help you week in and week out. All right, now we've got a fun one. We've got a list. Here from Jared. I don't know how well this kind of question works for an audio podcast because people don't have like a pen and paper to write this all down. But he said, rank these young defensemen for the next season. And he said, a couple stats, which is basically offense as shots and then blocks we count in the couple, no hits. Then he listed over 10 defensemen. Looks like uh, 13 guys. So the names on the list are Montour, Theodore, Morgan Riley, Dumba, Butcher, Provorov, Ekblad, wierenski Pareko, Pulak, Manson, Hannafin, and McAvoy so a lot of interesting names here i don't know if like we could give you a full ranking it's kind of tricky like that really would lead, you know like they have articles on dobber hockey these cage matches where they compare two players they write a whole article comparing two players how many different combinations are there to compare 13 different defensemen yes brian
1: I, i'm just gonna jump in right away because i mean you're right it's a it's a wide list it's a wide swath of players but the two guys who stand head and shoulders above the field there are Morgan Riley and Zach Worensky. Those are the two guys with the most upside Whoa. and likely the best deployment as well. I would uh, maybe
0: not agree with you about Zach Warenski. I have a okay, couple guys. Deplo-
1: him. Yeah, sorry. Deployment wise, Warenski has Jones, and uh, you know Riley could have Gardner. That that could that could happen again. Uh, but like, even if Will Butcher does somehow become like stick in the best deployment of anyone here, is he really? Like going
0: to do much with it. That's the right. Well, okay, here's the thing. Okay, so Morgan Riley, you say. We can start with him. Amazing season, like 50-plus points, tons of power play points. The only place he really hurts you is he doesn't block a lot. So, you know, he's going to be, like, below replacement value probably for blocks for defense. But if you're getting so many power play points, like, finally this season, Morgan Riley was put where people were waiting him to be, which was on a prominent power play unit. And he was, of all these guys, he had the most power play points. So definitely Morgan Riley is what, or I think maybe Will Butcher had more. But he, Will Butcher, hardly had any shots or any blocks so that's what brings him down but if we're looking at just points i do agree about morgan riley There, zach wierenski we discussed him i think it was on the last episode first of all he's injured right now it came out that he was injured for a lot of last year so that's why we discussed if maybe he's better than his numbers from last year indicated but i also think that seth jones really established himself as a tough like number one defenseman like I don't know if he's going to be easy to bump for Zach Wierenski so that would make me a little bit concerned I feel like Zach Wierenski is more of like a, a coin flip like he could be really amazing but he could also be disappointing kind of to me like someone like uh Charlie McAvoy I see him being in a similar situation where I think he has the skills and definitely if the guy ahead of him gets injured, like if Krug gets injured, that's great for McAvoy. If Jones gets injured, obviously we don't want to cheer for an injury, but like you'd imagine that would benefit Zach Werenski. Also like a guy like Colton Pareko maybe is in a list like that, though. It's like, I mean, this year we expected him, a lot of people expected him to take the top power play job from Petrangelo. And then even when Petrangelo got bumped, it was for Vince Dunn. So, I don't know, but maybe next year is the year for Colton Pareco. So, he's an interesting guy. I have those guys in a tier, maybe together. And then I think at the bottom, I guess we could probably agree Noah Hannafin at this point. We even did our whole Carolina talk. We didn't even mention Noah Hannafin. I feel like he's, we're over him, right? Like, even if Falk gets injured, I'm not expecting too much from Noah Hannafin.
1: Look, he, he's lurking in the weeds. There's a possibility that, like, he was a high end draft pick. I don't know that he's ever supposed to be the uh, like he's supposed to have been the guy I'm not sure how to say this grammatically appropriately anyway everyone hopefully it wasn't as much of a struggle to listen to that for you as it was for me uh, to say anyway uh, Noah Hannafin probably not the guy Justin Falk is perfectly capable uh, if they want to turn to, to someone else he's there and last year Hannafin gave them sorry Falk gave them reason to turn to someone else and they never really did So. Yeah, I'm not that high on him. I, like, I would see Matt Dumba as having a better shot at seeing regular time, even though like, that's crazy because there are two guys ahead of him.
0: Yeah, but the thing with Matt Dumba that makes him so interesting is he had 50 points last year. And obviously a lot of that came when Jared Spurgeon was injured and Dumba became a pretty much a must-own. I added him and he was a big reason why I was successful in my couple uh, endeavors he he was really great down the stretch and next year, you know, we'd expect Spurgeon will be healthy, but Ryan Suter is getting older. I don't know, like Matt Dumba, you can't ignore a 50 point season, right? Like probably he's not going to be able to match that, but I feel like he's still kind of young. What is he now? Uh, oh, I don't have a, I don't have it available to me right away, but I think he's like in his early 20s. Do you have a quick take on Matt Dumba's age? I don't know why the pop-up isn't working for me. People Wait, do I you still... want
1: me to give a take on his age or tell yeah. you how old he
0: is? Uh, Both. I'd like one of each. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, uh, he 23. is 23 and 295 days old. So he'll be 24 by the time the next season starts. And what
0: do you you want me to give a take on? Okay, well, whatever. I'm saying that I think Matt Dumba is an interesting guy because he had 50 points last year, which is really good for a defenseman. And while I feel like that will be hard for him to match, I do think that he should be considered on another tier a- ahead of Noah Hannafin and also ahead of Manson, who yeah. I've Manson, by the way, 37 points last year, uh, five points in his last three games. So if it wasn't for those last three games, he'd be at 32 points. He's 26 years old. I don't expect, you know, and Anaheim has a lot of good defensemen ahead of him on the depth chart. Lindholm, Montour, Fowler. So I would be very surprised if Manson makes much of a stick. Like I think those 37 points would be the most you could expect. And probably he won't even hit that again.
1: Yeah. I'm with you there. Of The two ducks D on this list, I would take Montour over Manson and, and heck, I'm going to go, I don't know how you're going to feel about this because I, I did it at the start of last season and ended up being completely wrong for the first two months, but then it eh, just downgraded to sort of wrong for the rest of the season. I think Colton Pareko's got a shot at quarterbacking the top power play in St. Louis this year.
0: This is the first year where, like, he'll be potentially a really good value pick. Like, I feel like maybe people aren't as excited, excited about him. And now you might... If you could get him late in your draft, there's definitely a lot of upside there. So I could see it happening. And if it doesn't, hopefully you won't have to spend a lot to get Colton Pareko. Then some other names we haven't mentioned, like Provorov on Philly... I really like him because he was so solid last year. I know he kind of slowed down at the end, but like the fact that this is a and we count blocks, he was like the best of all these guys. He gave you the most blocks. And I think he had a solid like 40 points overall on the year. So really like, it's just a really good guy that you can have. He also takes a good number of shots He had 41 points in 82 games. And to go with that, he had like almost 200 shots. Let me just get the uh, numbers here for Provorov. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, 203 shots, 169 blocks. So he was like at the top of shots and blocks of all of these guys listed. The only one with more shots than Provarov was Colton Pareko, who had many fewer goals, as I mentioned before. So I really like Provarov just because also he's young and he has room to grow. And then also I think we have to mention Aaron Ekblad, who had 189 shots and he had like not the best year, but he came on strong at the end. And at some point he's going to take over that uh, Florida top power play spot, right? Or, like maybe it'll just be Yandel again, but I think just like Pareko, I give Ekblad and Pareko even odds to take over that top power play role. And I think Ekblad has a better shot or at least a better shot to also be relevant even if he doesn't.
1: Huh. I think Pareko's a pretty good guy at filling peripherals and, and Ekblad's shot seems to come and go at times last year, whereas Pareko was reasonably consistent and had blocks to boot. So given that that was a full category last year, uh, I think I'd prefer him. Okay.
0: Well, so yeah, it's it's interesting. Let us know if you can sort of parse as listening to this, like all the different comparisons we're making. Let us know where you disagree with us. Will Butcher's obviously an interesting one. He had a really good season. He had 44 points, very like top heavy and bottom heavy, right? He was nothing in the middle, but he had a really strong start and a really strong end. And when I say a really strong end, it was like the last couple of weeks, Sammy Vatnin came I guess, right before the trade deadline. And it seemed like he was the, for sure, top power play guy with Taylor Hall. But then by the end of the season, Will Butcher took that spot again. So then he becomes a real question mark, him and Vattenen, for next year on New Jersey. Like Clearly, we've seen that there is finally room for a defenseman on New Jersey to be fantasy relevant if they're playing with Taylor Hall, especially on the power play. It's just a matter of who it's going to be, which makes it tricky. And then, Brian, I think my big sleeper of the list, the player that I think could become one of the best value picks late in the draft next year is I would say Ryan Pulak because he was actually like really good last year. He had 32 points in 68 games. And if you work that out, that's close to 40 point pace. And he was still behind Letty on the top power play. Letty is like not that great like offensively like I feel like Pulak is right there I think he's going to take over he had a a decent amount of power play time last year of course this also goes back to the John Tavares question who knows how many goals the Islanders are going to be able to score if Tavares leaves and they don't get anyone to replace him but I liked what I saw from Ryan Pulak last year He was like definitely worth owning in most leagues. And I could see him taking a step forward next year, especially because I don't think Nick Letty is like such tough competition for him to pass. Like I feel like if you're looking at Pareko passing Petrangelo or Ekblad passing Yandel, I think that Pulak has the easiest competitor in Nick Letty.
1: Unsteady Letty was well, unsteady enough to open the door for someone to step in. And Ryan Pulak did get a little bit of that time uh, and I, Elon, I'm with you there. I think, uh, like, Letty was also amazing, incredible to start the year. Like, we were singing his praises for several weeks. Uh, we named an episode after him, Letty Mercury, and uh, but it, but it described him accurately. He was mercurial in his play, He'd go all the way up, then all the way down, disappear. He's never been an above average. Well, sorry, I don't know if that does him justice because he he's shown an ability to be like 40 to 45 point guy uh, just not terribly consistent so that means that if the islanders want to try a new option in ryan pulak they have the ability to do that i think he could be a really great sleeper this year when you're selecting like say the third or fourth defenseman on your team
0: yeah by the way speaking of freddie mercury have you seen the preview of the bohemian rhapsody movie with rami malik from mr robot playing freddie mercury no, they're making what they make a movie about the song? No, they're making a movie about Freddie Mercury, a biopic, and it's called Bohemian Rhapsody, and it's starring the star of one of my favorite TV shows, Mr. Robot. So I'm very excited about it. I saw the preview. He looked just like him. So cool. Cool. I have definitely seen that television show. <laughs> okay so we got a couple more questions from twitter that i'll throw at you so first we had at mike riggy asking what can we expect for max Pax next year and that could be a good test to see if someone is a real hockey fan or not do they know who max Pax is of course it's patchy and of course patchy is one of the players who maybe didn't make us look so smart because at the start of the year when he started slow much like Carey price i recall brian that we weren't saying you know he'll be fine like i think that he'll bounce back like he was having a super low shooting percentage and he was like taking a lot of shots and just not many goals were going in but then the season kept on going and at the end of it all he had only 37 points in 64 games which is definitely his worst season in like forever he had 67 points the year before with 34 goals 64 points 67 like he's been an above 60 guy for the past like four years and then all of a sudden last year just everything went wrong and he really didn't bounce back his shots were amazing by the way he had 212 shots in 64 games. So you could just say that he had some bad luck and if he gets a normal shooting percentage, he had 8% shooting percentage last year and his career average is 11. So I don't know if you want to do some quick math, we can see like how many goals maybe he would have had if he hit his average, but either way, there's a lot of reasons also just to be down on Montreal in general just because they're the Habs and they were quite a disaster last year, especially like like when Shay Weber got injured and you know, it was very hard for them to score goals. So what do you expect? It's like you know, Max Pacioretty someone who you're going to bank on for like at least 65 points, just like you would have last year. Or are you downgrading him after this rough season?
1: He is my candidate. I'm going to call it the Jordan Eberle award. I, I, I think he's got a good shot at bouncing back just based on shooting percentage. And I compare him to Jordan Eberly because well, he, it, he had a terrible season based not completely on shooting percentage, but much of it on shooting percentage. And on top of that uh, was in the spotlight as it all happened and unfolded he also was not handed much opportunity to do much more at least not much help while he was on the ice you look at the guys uh, that patch spent the most time with this season he started the year like the first like three four maybe five games he was with brendan gallagher and jonathan duran which was excellent uh, until he was off that line and it actually never formed again patch Mo- six most common line, ma- line mates were Philip Deneau, Andrew Shaw, Jonathan Druen, Paul Byron, Charles Hudon, and Arturi Lekkinen. So out of those six players that Patri spent the most time with this year, how many of them are, are legit top line players? You've got one in Jonathan Drouin and then top six players? I don't know, maybe Deneau, Byron, Lekkinen at times can be a top six players, but you've got a lot of middle six players that Max Pacioretty was trying to make magic with. Uh, and of course it did not happen, but it wasn't just his shooting percentage. That was the problem. You take a look at his offensive numbers, like uh, his, shot, his shot rates and his shot attempt rates. And they also took a tumble, as you might expect for him at this stage in his career. Uh, he is now, as my computer is glitching up, uh, he's 29 years old. So next year is going to be his age 30 season when he turns 30 in November uh I don't know he's not gonna get much better uh, but a lot did not go his way one other number that was way too low for him last season was his IPP down at 52 percent when for the past six seasons it had been between 72 and 75 so it had been in a very narrow range that entire time and then like plummeted 20 points which I don't expect to sustain into next year so uh, it's not the end of Max Pacioretty. Let's not overstate how terrible last year was, or sorry, maybe we should, but you can't overstate how terrible last year was for Max Pacioretty, but let's not overstate exactly what it means for all the following seasons. I don't think 37 points in 64 games is a new normal for Pacioretty. I'll, I'll bump him back up to 60 just based on uh, on his laurels or as some would say, his Yannies. And then uh, hopefully he can rebound a little bit more from there, but he's going to need some help. He's going to need better than Philip Dano and Andrew Shaw.
0: Yeah, and maybe a defenseman who can, like, move the puck and help get plays started. Like, when Weber went down, I guess it was Jeff Petrie doing all the offensive work as far as defensemen go in Montreal. And that's not really Jeff Petrie's job, right? So uh, they'll need some help there. I'd love to see the Habs do something over the summer. We have a patron who is selling his Habs season's tickets. He says it's just because he's, you know, trying to make money. But I think we all know the real reason. It's because of this terrible season they had, and he wants to get out of them before it's too late. Am I right? Uh, you're right. Or he has, a, like, you know, it's Carey Price. Maybe you
1: just can't bear to watch another Carey Price meltdown. Yeah. Saw enough of them this year.
0: Well, Carrie Price is another one of these guys like Paccioretti. Like, there's going to be some value with these Habs, right? Like, if you think that Ready could even just get back to 60 points, it's going to be kind of like a game of chicken. Because I feel like a lot of people going into drafts are going to be thinking, ooh, especially if they're league really counts shots, ooh, like maybe I could sneak a Max Ready in like a sixth, seventh round pick. And he ends up being like, a, you know, plays like a third, fourth round guy. All of a sudden, I got a steal. But I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be thinking of him like that. So it'll be interesting to see where he actually goes. And in an auction draft, he could be one of those guys I find in auctions every once in a while there's a player who everyone sort of has as their like sleeper guy so then they end up getting in a bidding war over him because they forget that the reason he's a sleeper is they were expecting they wouldn't have to pay a lot then you do end up paying a lot so uh, he's one of those guys I think Eberle is a really good example also because going into last year people were kind of into Eberle because he'd just gone to the Islanders and people thought he was going to be on the top line in power play with John Tavares and it didn't work out that way but he still had a decent enough season and I think we've you know, be very happy to see Pacharetti bounce back to doing what Eberly did last year, and he has obviously potential for more, especially with all those shots on goal. There's definitely like a lot of offensive firepower. There are some big names in Montreal. You know, you got Druin, Pacharetti, Galchenyuk. Maybe Galchenyuk at some point we have to give up on him being like a really strong offensive guy. Brendan Gallagher had such an amazing year, though. So, interesting. Well, His that's character- it. There,
1: there, there are guys to play with. Galchenyuk, Gallagher, Pacharetti saw so little time with those guys. It, it would help. It would help.
0: Yeah. Uh Brian, your favorite guy, Alish Hemsky, is still there. Maybe he could uh, help Pat ready bounce back.
1: Define's still there.
0: He's like listed on their roster <laughs> on the Roto World page. That's but a he has, start,
1: I guess. He yeah. has
0: an injury sign beside him. On February 23rd, it was announced that he was cleared for contact. But I don't wow. know if he actually actually return and play any games i don't recall him doing so uh and carrie price let's not even get into him but he'll probably be a steal right like who would you take you take carrie price over uh like you mentioned lugfist and we talked about darling like i'm assuming you're taking price over those guys next year based on his nannies and laurels
1: i thought you were gonna ask me if i would take pecorine or carrie price first which is which is a difficult question i think i'd go carrie price who would you go
0: Uh, I think that one depends uh, quite a bit on your league format, right? Just because I guess with Rene, we're afraid of him potentially losing starts. And Carey Price, like, unless he gets injured again, we'd expect that he's going to play the majority of the games. So uh, if your league is, like, really high on saves, then that's a very good reason to play Carey Price. But if you're just hoping for, like, wins and decent numbers, I guess Carey Price, though you'd expect to have better save percentages. So it's mainly about wins. If your league counts only wins, I would go Pecorine. Like So you uh,
1: think even you think Rene, like the the risk of him not being the straight up number one and being like a one A or one B isn't enough to make you want like he's going to do more in those. Assume he starts forty. You think he's going to do more in those forty than Carey Price can in fifty or sixty
0: in straight up wins. I mean, you would think so. Plus, there's still the upside of more for Rene. It's tough. Plus, don't forget about my fan fiction where Rene gets traded halfway through the season to a playoff contender and is the number one goalie for the rest of the way. So that is a tough one. I'd be curious to know what people think. I guess the carry Price, maybe you just have to take carry Price just because last year he was in our tier one and it could be such a great ceiling. Like if save percentage and goals against average and saves are counted, then I think it's an easy answer to... Oh, maybe I shouldn't say it's an easy answer after how this last season went, but I'd be interested in taking Carey Price, but for just wins, I think I'd still take Rene.
1: Hemsky, by the way, for anyone considering drafting him, he is one of those UFAs. I don't know how we missed him earlier in the show. I yeah. uh, made a million bucks last year. We'll see if anyone wants to take a shot on him this
0: year. <laughs> how about uh, Antony Yemi? Is he signed or is he going to be a free agent?
1: Uh, if my memory is right, he is a free agent uh and yes my memory is right so he's uh he's out there so i wonder who uh, will back up maybe it'll be charlie lindgren like we'll... honestly the Oilers. i don't know i don't want to get into that the oilers was it miko rantanen that they signed what or Co- it was koskinen
0: it's a big difference between rantanen and and koskinen what are you talking about what are you trying to say
1: yeah it was me well they're both named miko so it's not a huge difference it's just just half their name
0: Nico Rantanen, by the way, we definitely have talked about him at some point because he's going to be drafted very high next year after the amazing season he had near point per game numbers. But like, I don't know, like it's a second fiddle situation. You, but And actually, we had a question. So our last question I wanted to get to from at Brory Coke: Should he trade Chocek and Carlson for McKinnon in the Cap dynasty? And that's why I'm saying it's related to Rantanen because Rantanen success obviously is very... Highly tied to McKinnon. We saw when McKinnon got injured last year, that and his numbers did definitely dip. So now, obviously, there's not enough information here to really give a good answer. I tried to reply and get some more, but we didn't get a response in time, at least. So Trocheck and Carlson for McKinnon. I was going to say, like, it kind of depends like what defenseman is replacing John Carlson because... If it's all about value over replacement, right? Like if you were to say, also I asked what the categories were because that makes a big difference. Vincent Trocek's so great for shots on goal. though. McKinnon's really good himself. But, you know, even if you say McKinnon, well, I don't know, like what, 10, 15 points better than Trocek, maybe more? Like Trocek is really good. Like if you give Trocek, let's say 65, 70 points, and then you want to give McKinnon like 80 or 90 points, it really then comes down to how Carlson, how much better Carlson is over the defenseman that you're going to be replacing him with And then we don't even know where Carlson's going to be next season. If Carlson is bumped, maybe it's a good idea to trade Carlson now while his value is so high, because if he ends up getting signed by a team where he's not going to excel like he does in Washington, that could be a problem. So I don't know. I don't really have an answer for you. I feel like I'm leaning towards yes, because Nathan McKinnon, I think, is like that good. Like He's a blue chipper, and if you're in a dynasty league where you're going to keep him for the rest of his life, probably you're going to be really happy with this, especially as the years go by. What do you think?
1: That's the way I'm leaning to just go for the best player in the trade, because I don't know all the variables and Trocek is certainly not to be undersold. And Carlson is a very good defenseman uh, who I like, again, depends on if you need to replace that defensive spot. Uh, but I would, uh, I would take McKinnon and then worry about the rest later. Like Elon said, especially with his youth, you're looking long-term McKinnon should be a guy you can rely on for a long time to come.
0: Yeah, it might be you might be selling high on Carlson right now. We're talking about John Carlson, of course. Yeah, not Eric. I guess I'm reading it, so to me it's obvious. But probably the people <laughs> listening, it doesn't sound too different. But we're talking homonyms here. Okay, uh, that's all the questions we have. We had a couple prospects questions. Let me just like bring one up. Not that we're going to dig into this guy because I know that it's not our bread and butter. But Ryan asked Konechny versus Zadina three-year goals and points prediction. So Zadina, by the way, going back to our Habs talk, I think that I've seen, I listened to a mock draft on the Dauber Prospects show, and I think also on the PDO cast, I think I heard one there as well, and both of them were saying how the Habs might get this guy Zadina, who might be another good player for Max Pacioretty to play with, by the way. So we'll have to take that into account in our Max Pacioretty considerations. But anyway, in general, Brian, like, what do you do with these types of questions? Like, if you're in one of these dynasty leagues, the thing with Zadina, especially at this point, if you have to decide right now before he even gets drafted, uh, you know, you don't know what team he's going to go to. You don't know what role he's going to be. And it's hard to say how good he's going to be. So... At the same time, then you have Travis Konechny, who we've seen a little bit from. Like, when he got to the top line last year, he was gangbusters. He was amazing, playing with Couturier and Giroux. And so we'd expect, like, right, like, for next year, I feel like you've got to go Konechny. If you're thinking long-term, it becomes murky. Like, how do you know? Like, Konechny seems to have upside. Zadina, like, I don't know. He's going to get drafted probably at a higher spot than Konechny was drafted. So if you just go by that, then maybe you go with Big Z. But uh, yeah, like, uh, I'm just curious to know what your general strategy is for questions like this. I kind of feel like if I were to sum it up, and obviously this doesn't apply to every player. Like, obviously it doesn't apply to, like, a Connor McDavid. But I think there's going to be new hot guys coming in the draft every year that you're going to be able to get. And, like, Konechny, if you know, if we see especially that he's going to still be on the top line next year then i'd rather just have the guy that's going to help me next year and if like if you're competing and trying to win go with the guy that's for sure going to help next year and i guess connecting is not a sure thing like i keep saying but i'd go with that and then just hope that you'll get a good prospect the next year when you need it or you'll you'll fall back and get some other prospects that's my general take but i'm more of a win now kind of guy and honestly we'll have to ask cam or someone to give the long-term prospects on zadino and probably once we know what team he's on
1: yeah, like there are a thousand unknowns about both of these guys and where they're going to slot in. Like Zed, Zedna, we don't even know what team he's going to be on. Konechny, we can make a guess as to where he sits in the lineup, but also don't know. My feeling is is like I, I when it comes to dynasty leagues and prospects, you are essentially trading on hunches here. And you can go with your own. You can go with some... Uh, vision in your head where Zadina gets drafted by Montreal, wins the Calder with a 60-point season, Kinect, and Keneckney ends up wallowing on line three because Simmons is back up on the top line and Giroux and voracek have, have regressed anyway. Or you can flip that whole thing and Zedna doesn't pan out. You know, like there there's so many different possible scenarios. And like by September, we'll get to narrow down to fewer scenarios, but there's still gonna be a lot of different ways for this to go. So that is why uh You know, not being a huge like we're not a prospects podcast, although we will bring a podcast, uh, a prospect expert on to guests around draft time where we'll maybe revisit this question. Uh, But yeah, it's too it's too unpredictable for me. I also lean towards established player and winning now. uh, So I'll go connect me even though his deployment isn't guaranteed next year, but he sure put in a good showing this year.
0: Yeah, his deployment isn't guaranteed, but he's a really young player himself. And even if he ends up on the second line, centered by Nolan Patrick, maybe that could end up being like a really good place for him to be. Like, Konechny didn't get on the top power play. So that's a concern. So I don't know. Like, it depends where Zadina goes or Zadina, as you said. Do you know? Do you have a sense of what's the right name pronunciation there?
1: None. No,
0: sorry. I'm going Zadina.
1: Well, you listened to two podcasts where his name was mentioned. So I'm hoping you've got it right. I
0: think so. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. Or maybe I just like it because it rhymes with my wife's name. So uh, I'm going to go with Zadina there. And yeah, there's like a lot of outs, I guess, for Konechny to have a good season. One thing to remember about Konechny is he was injury prone in his first year and in the minors. I remember that was a big talking point about him when he was about to start his first season for Philly. So maybe he's a bit risky, but... Yeah, hope that helps, Ryan. I'd be curious to know what uh, our other patrons think or tweeted us Connectly versus Zadina. Maybe some people are gonna be like, you're crazy. You got to grab Zadina now before it's too late. But okay, I guess that's it. We have a couple other prospects questions. Like you said, maybe we'll save them. We have one about Tolvenin. We have one about Henrik Borgström who Ryan, same Ryan, is saying is going to potentially be a Calder favorite on Florida next year. And I'll be honest, I haven't really uh, heard of Henrik Borgström. So that's definitely a name I'm going to keep in mind to ask about and learn more about as we head into the season. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, Brian, this was fun. You know, we t- tackled some questions. We had some laughs. We talked about a bunch of players. What do you think? I think it's a pretty good show in the books. I'm, I'm going to call it a solid episode of Keeping Carlson. How about that? I hope every episode is a solid episode of Keeping Carlson. So, okay. Schedule coming up. We'll do another show, I guess, two weeks from Sunday. We'll try to get back on our regular schedule for the patrons. We're going to do a patron cast later this month. So you'll ask us your questions. It'll be similar to this one, except we'll ask every question guaranteed. And I'll probably have a beer or two as we go through them. So stay tuned for that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like the show, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to get your feedback. If you don't like the show, send us your feedback. Maybe we can uh, learn from it. That's what feedback's all about, right? Plus, you could give us a five-star. If you you don't like the show, forget about this next thing I'm going to say. But if you like the show, give us that five-star review on iTunes. We definitely do appreciate that. But with that, Brian, how about let's cue the outro music, and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits?
1: Alright, this episode of the Keeping Carlson podcast was researched with help from, no, it was presented by Dauber Hockey, and supported by our patrons over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, the newly renamed Frozen Tools. Thank you, uh, Eric, I'm gonna butcher his last name, Doust, for uh, crushing... The Frozen Pool to Frozen Tools redesign looks great. And uh, very responsive on Twitter as well, whenever there's a book. I appreciate that. Uh, Dauber prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat, Trick, Charting, Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and
0: tracks. All right. Hey, Brian, quick. Before we go, help me make my pick for th- today's patron ranking pick. Okay, I- I'm trying to decide between Marceau, Panarin, and Philip Forsberg. Who should I pick? Um, I'm leaning Marceau, Marceau. but if you like... That's the thing. I'm always feeling dumb when I'm leaning so, but then I'm always turn out to be dumb when I don't pick him. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm sticking but Panarin is so good and Forsberg, also is so good. pickle go wrong. Yeah.
1: The answer is you're probably going to be able to get so later than either of those guys, so that's why it feels maybe maybe that's why it feels silly to rank him ahead of them. But like if we're just going straight up the order in which I want players. I would I'd probably go so, Panarin, Forsberg. Maybe Panarin over Marshall. Like that that's that's very close.
0: Yeah, it Might be recency biased. Like Marshall just did score two goals yesterday. Yeah, maybe assume. I am
1: gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Panarin first.
0: Okay, I'm changing my vote to Panarin. This is a Brian inspired vote. Okay, thanks everyone. Bye. Until next time, keep on keeping Carl Till next time!